This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals. From Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals, this is Life Effects, a podcast about health. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. This season, we're exploring all kinds of health conditions and trends through the lens of the patient. We look at what they're experiencing now. I run maybe 40 to 50 miles a week. I don't know what 85 is supposed to feel like. I've just been very healthy and bring researchers into the conversation who can map out what the future might hold. By running or doing the high-intensity interval training, you actually build up more mitochondrial mass. So technically, that does make you a little younger. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live to 100? How about 150? On today's show, we're talking about longevity. It's just one of the topics we're investigating this season on Life Effects. Biotech startups are racing one another to figure out how to help us live longer, and they're using research about DNA to do that. Teams of medical researchers are hard at work extending the lifespans of mice, and the latest findings show there is, in fact, potential for human life to last longer than it does today. But even if the technology isn't accessible just yet, is it at all possible that something as simple as exercise could reverse aging for the rest of us right now? That's where Katherine Byers comes in. This past spring, at 85, she finished the Boston Marathon for the 14th time. Let's have her tell us her story. I moved to Santa Cruz in 67. I worked as a librarian at the University of California for 25 years. My job at the library as a librarian, I was in all day, and I was yearning to get outdoors and do something physical. But I also didn't have much energy in the afternoon, and I thought, something needs to happen here. And simultaneously, I got invited by the campus to this lecture, and he started out with more personal stuff, like first, you know, don't have martinis for lunch. And the second part was, you really need to pump your heart 12 minutes a day. And I kept thinking, 12 minutes a day? Everyone can do 12 minutes a day. So, um, you know, maybe a week or so later, I started going over to this track on campus. I had these god-awful old shoes. Lord knows what I wore. Plaid Bermudas, I think I had a pair. I don't think they were short shorts. They were probably Bermudas, probably Madras. It took me about six months to do four loops, which equal the mile. I had three kids in college at that time. I called them all, tell them their mother ran a mile. Never thought I would do another mile. Two thousand seventeen at Boston, I was the oldest person. I was the oldest woman registered and I finished Boston in six hours and four minutes. That, that's been my sort of claim to fame the last couple of years. You know, Boston is the biggie. I've run, and I think I've won awards in all 14. The first mile in Boston, uh, almost the first several miles, is downhill. So it's wonderful, because now you're on your way, you're excited, you've crossed the start line, 
Then you go by Wellesley College where all the, you know, the students there are cheering us and yelling. And, you know, so you've just got action the whole way. The, the crowd pushes you. This one day, right in Boston, it was a beautiful day, and they had all these, like, 50 wheelchairs out with people sitting in them with blankies on them. It was a, um, a like an assistant living nursing home. You know, it was wonderful. And this guy kept looking at me, and then he finally, he just looked at me. He said, you could be there, but you're here. All those people in those wheelchairs at this nursing home, you know, could it be me? I could have been one of them. When, when you're in your 80s, I mean, you know, anything can happen. It cheered me up for five miles. As the years have gone by, I've been running 35 years now. I think I've gone through several generations of runners. You know, I'm with my friends minimum five days a week. Uh, they, they've become this other family called my running family. You know, people always ask me, do you, do you, you must love running. And I said, no, I don't love it. I love the rewards that running does for me. And I felt that ever since that first few months on the track at UCSC. I, I run maybe 40 to 50 miles a week. I don't know what 85 is supposed to feel like. I've just been very healthy. I attribute a lot of my good health a lot of it is um, is just being so active. Just because it's been one, one big run starting 35 years ago. Well, the last hour, um, I am able to pass people, I must admit. My son is usually at the finish line, so he's there. And I always need a little help. You know, your legs are kind of like jelly or rubber. So anyway, eventually we get to the hotel. And the hotel people know that I'm the oldest runner. And the manager is always there and greets me and all the staff greet me. You know, what can we do? Do you want water? No, I'd like a cold beer, though. And then I take that up and then I get into the shower with my cold beer at the same time. Yep, that's my routine. <laughs> that's Boston. Catherine's story is really extraordinary, and I'm delighted to have her in the conversation today. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. And we also have Dr. Roberta Gottlieb, who we will call Robbie. Dr. Gottlieb is the Dorothy and E. Philip Lyon Chair in Molecular Cardiology at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. She heads the Gottlieb Laboratory there, and she's investigating something called autophagy, which, as I understand it, is the phenomenon of cells reviving themselves. Uh, she does a lot more than that, too, and we are going to find out what that is in a few moments. For now, uh, Dr. Gottlieb, Robbie, welcome to you, too. Good morning. So, Dr. Gottlieb, what is your first reaction when you hear Catherine's story about taking up running? I think it's a wonderful story. I think that it should inspire all of us to take more exercise in, in our daily lives and to find something that we're passionate about because exercise is one of the most important ways you can stay young. 
Yeah, I have to say that I'm actually training right now for my very first marathon. And uh, to get to the end of a marathon of 26 miles, that seems to me right now like the hardest challenge. And you, Catherine, have done it again and again and again. And I wonder how do uh, you commit yourself to doing that? What, whatever distance I run, I just did a six-mile run, uh, a race on Sunday. And the last third, I don't care what the distance is, you just want it over with. And you really have to think about it and and get into yourself and, you know, smile at everybody. Uh, so the marathon's no different. So uh, you do you do pull out uh, all the mental stops to help you that last while. But you also know it's going to be over. And you think, oh, it'll be over. I'll be okay. You know, six hours, fine. Um, but you... you I don't say you play tricks with yourself, but you're constantly in your own space and in your own head at that time. I was going to ask Catherine if the mm-hmm. the crowd's cheering you on, if that helps. Oh, it helps a lot, absolutely. You know, it helps so much that um, when there isn't a crowd, you think, oh, my gosh. Uh, then you have to kind of pull out something else you're going to do, which usually is maybe some cheerful person you're running alongside. I always... I start races with friends, but I always am on my own. I wonder, Dr. Gottlieb, what's your uh, thought when you hear this? Somebody taking up um, what's often considered a pretty uh, punishing sport in their middle age and running for decades, really. Uh, Is this like very unusual? Is she doing much to uh, extend her life with this? Or is this just sort of a way to bide the time and keep her heart a little bit healthier than average? I think it's a lot more than that. Um, there's several things that are that are um, wonderful about what she's doing. The first of all is that she's running with friends, and it's really important to keep your social engagement and, and have a community of people that keep you engaged in the world, particularly after retirement and as we get older and older and lose our initial circle of friends, it's important to maintain a network of people. So that's one. Two is that the running is something that she's found to be really enjoyable, and I think that the important part of physical exercise is it shouldn't be something that makes you miserable. It should be something that you want to do each day that you look forward to and find pleasure in. Um, and thirdly is, is you know, it is challenging to run marathons. I think it's, it, you know, um, perhaps Catherine is more of an expert on this than I am because I've never run a marathon, but my understanding is it's pretty hard on the body. Um, but the training that goes up to it is wonderful. Um, and, and you know, it's not bad to challenge your body every so often. What exactly is aging and why do we have to do it? Ah, that's a really interesting question and one that scientists don't have all the answers to yet. Um, I think we all know aging when we see it, the creaky joints, the progressive weakness. But what we really think of as aging is actually the the development of frailty. So the bones become fragile um, and people lose bone mass as they get more elderly. And they also lose muscle mass. That means that people become weaker as they get older and it's harder for them to move quickly. And if they lose their balance, it's very hard to have the muscular strength and the agility to catch themselves before they hit the ground. And then with those fragile bones, then uh, the risk of a fracture is much more likely. So those are the things that we worry about with aging. Your research uh, deals with the longevity of the heart. Explain what that is a little bit. 
So um, the heart and the brain are two organs where the cells live almost your entire lifetime. There's very few of those cells that get replaced on a frequent basis, Com you know, which is very different from skin or intestine where those cells are being replaced every day. But um, in the heart and the brain, those cells are very long-lived. And that means that there has to be a mechanism for keeping them clean. And so it's um, a process of clearing out damaged organelles. And organelles are kind of specialized structures within cells that perform uh, individual functions. For instance, we have mitochondria that are very important for making ATP. And we have um, endoplasmic reticulum that's important for making proteins that the cell needs. What is ATP? ATP is a high-energy compound. And so it's... Um, you know, like we put gasoline in in our cars to make them go. Well, cells use ATP as the um, energy currency inside the cell. So um, these organelles, however, over time kind of wear out and need to be replaced. And the process of clearing those damaged organelles is what we call autophagy or self-eating, which means just the Greek term eating oneself. And the cell is actually eating bits and pieces of itself in order to clean up those those messes. So what effect do damaged mitochondria have on us as we get older? So the, the effects of damaged mitochondria are pretty serious because when mitochondria aren't working well, they make less ATP. And in some cases, they can be so severely damaged that they're actually running in reverse and consuming ATP. But the other problem that mitochondria have is that they can um, produce reactive oxygen species or what we call free radicals. Um, and that can damage the DNA, and that might provoke uh, the cell to become a cancer cell. It can damage proteins so that all those proteins are functioning less well. And if there's enough free radical damage to those proteins, then they can form aggregates. And this is kind of debris that forms within the cell that, again, interferes with the function of the whole cell. I saw a study uh, from the Mayo Clinic that linked high-intensity interval training with increased mitochondrial health, and it was actually in older adults where the link was the most striking. And there was even the suggestion that intense exercise could be corrective in older folks. Um, how might that phenomenon be at work in Catherine's case, or do you think it is? Oh, I definitely think it is. What what they showed was that um, although all kinds of exercise had some benefits, the one that was the most beneficial, particularly in older people, was um, high-intensity interval training, um, which is like four minutes of hard exercise, a few minutes of rest, four more minutes of really hard exercise, three cycles of that, so a total of 12 minutes of pumping the heart. Um, and that showed tremendous benefit for the mitochondria, which made more of themselves and cleared out the old ones. And so that the mitochondria that were um, now replacing the, you know, the new replacement mitochondria were much more functional in, in various ways that we can measure mitochondrial function. But this doesn't mean that if an older person like Catherine is running and doing interval training that she's going to ultimately kind of get younger, reverse the effects of aging, just that she can kind of hold steady. Hmm. I'm not sure I would rule out the possibility of getting a little younger. Um, I think that one of the problems with aging is that we lose the mitochondrial mass in our muscle tissue and elsewhere. And, and so that gets the muscles get weaker. So by running or the, doing the high-intensity interval training that was described in the Mayo study, um, you actually build up more mitochondrial mass. So technically, that does make you a little younger wow. physiologically. 
Catherine, I want to ask you, have you felt uh, the rejuvenative effects of running either, you know, physically in your body or mentally? Tell us about that. I can't identify that to ask if I felt any rejuvenation. I do know about uh, five years ago, I joined a, a fitness center. I got a, you know, a coach, and I've been going ever since. I wanted to work on my balance. I was afraid of falling. That's all you hear about aging is don't fall, you know, the last step. But, of course, what that led to twice a week, two hours, is uh, doing a lot of upper body strengthening, uh, yesterday they had me on the floor and I had to get up 15 times off the floor. That is not easy. I mean, uh, my cardio, I was pumping, I was hot, uh, I was able to do it, but uh, with a, quite a bit of uh, wherewithal to get myself off the floor 15 times, you know. I do have macular degeneration, and I've had it for 22 years. And I remember when it got diagnosed, I thought, oh, my gosh, my running. And he said, well, you'll always be able to run in a track, but you're not going to be able to run trails. Well, wrong. Clearly, my exercise has made a difference. My eyesight isn't great, but it certainly hasn't, you know, by any means affected me in a way that I, I can't do most things. I have a question, Robbie, about uh, extending our life, which really kind of relates to extending our health, because a person can live to be 102. I mean, my grandmother lived to almost 102, but her last years were not great. Um, She did have dementia. She had uh, macular degeneration and some other ailments. So what good uh, are, are all these attempts to uh, extend life if the last years of life are so debilitating? Well, we've, we make a distinction between lifespan, which is the, you know, kind of the longest anybody can hope to live if everything goes well, and life expectancy, which is kind of the average um, length of time most people will live in a population. And then um, health span, which is the time when one can live free of, you know, major disease like a heart attack or, or dementia or um, cancer. And so in, in this country, I think the most recent statistics put our life expectancy somewhere in the late 70s. Um, but our health span or our health expectancy is probably in the early 60s. So it looks like we have, you know, a decade or two of ill health Um, before we finally pass on. And I think that science is more concerned now with trying to extend health span um, so that, you know, you're healthy and vigorous until the day you wake up dead. I think another aspect is is our society sort of doesn't really accept death and kind of does everything that technology can can be um, enlisted to, to assist with in order to postpone the inevitable. And there is, you know, I think there are some people who have chosen not to accept any, you know, excessive medical interventions after a certain age or a certain quality of life because they don't want to face those kinds of indignities. And that's, I think, an understandable view, but our society isn't very comfortable talking about that. I'd love to talk a little bit about other forms of anti-aging research that are out there. Uh, I wonder, Robbie, if you can tell us a story uh, from your lab about a mouse experiment and a Ph.D. student. So we took a group of mice that were 12 months old. And in mouse years, that equates to somebody in their 50s. Um, and we put them on a twice-a-week 
fast, so 24 hours with no food. And if you think about it from the human perspective, 24 hours with no food is not that big a deal. If you start your fast after dinner and keep it going until the next dinner, you've missed out on breakfast and lunch, and dinner might be a little bit later than it would have been. But that's a 24-hour fast, not too bad. When we tested these mice, we subjected them to a number of challenges. They actually performed much better, so their immune system was more youthful, and they also they had a, a younger heart in terms of its ability to withstand uh, an ischemic challenge or an insult like a heart attack. So we think that this benefits, and one of my postdocs in the lab was so impressed by the results of the study that he's now taken on a weekly fast um, and and. He's too young for us to know whether or not it's going to make a difference, but um, I think he feels that it's a good thing to do. And how long has he been doing that? Um, five years now. Wow, once a week for five years. Has he noticed anything anecdotally? Any changes? He notices he gets pretty hungry on that day. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, have you experimented with any uh, life-extending practices besides running, or have you been tempted by any? I, I really haven't. I've never taken any supplement. Um, you know, I eat well. I eat a bit of everything. Um, don't think I've I've needed to have a multivitamin or whatever it's called. Uh, so I'll, I'll just continue uh, until something says, whoa, you better look down this row of stuff that's available. But so far, not so. It's funny because the subtext of all of these studies is somehow that aging is... Uh, bad or something to be avoided. Um, and uh, I mean, that maybe this is a question for a whole different conversation, but there's all these philosophical ramifications of that idea or practical ramifications. I mean, is aging bad? Why should we not accept aging and death as part of life and then sort of embrace it instead of seeing it as this thing that we need to avoid at all costs? Well, I think it's an amazing question. And, and I've read Stephen Jenkinson's book on 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 um, death and the fact that our society is really kind of trying to avoid that topic and the idea that we all die. But aging is a different question. We can get older but maintain health, and that would be great. Um, you know, I think the what what we would like to be able to avoid is is having people spend the last ten or twenty years of their life, you know, being dependent on a lot of medical support and feeling crummy and miserable and just kind of wishing for that pneumonia to come along. If we think about an aging population and we are helping people to live longer, uh, that doesn't mean, as you've pointed out, Robbie, they're necessarily living well as they live longer. What kind of burden does that pose uh, on society? Well, there's the economic burden, obviously, of, of providing health care and nursing home care for, for aging individuals that are no longer healthy enough to live alone or live independently. Um, but I think that the other cost is on the families that um, help to look after these individuals. As, you know, and, you know, the, the individual cost to each person who has to suffer through um, progressive debilitation. So I think there, there are many aspects to it, but I think that um, the medical, you know, providing the medical support for, for aging individuals is a challenge and becomes a larger economic burden as our population, you know, across the country ages. Catherine, I know you enjoyed a beer at the end of the marathon, and you typically enjoy a beer at the end of your races. Do you drink every day? I have wine every night for dinner, usually 
maybe a glass before and then milk for dinner, but one or two glasses at the most. But I, I do. I certainly do. Um, beer is my preferred drink after a race or, you know, after a day working in the yard or something. But yes, I do. I would say one to two, uh, five days a week easily. Uh, so, so a person doesn't have to say, okay, I'm not going to have any more alcohol, goodbye to bacon, goodbye to all, you know, to chocolate cake and everything that could possibly be seen as uh, detrimental to the health. Well, I think all things in moderation. Um, the most important um, impact on your lifespan is probably who your parents were, and we don't get much choice about that. Um, and then the second thing has to do with with diet because we live in a life of we live a life of nutritional excess. Our bodies evolved in a feast or famine kind of world, and and we're still adapted to to having episodes of lots of food and then episodes of no food, and that's really kind of how we work function the best. So um, the challenge is to not become overweight, which is something that will accelerate aging and contribute to. Um, a whole host of diseases from, ranging from cancer and heart disease to neurodegeneration like Alzheimer's disease. So um, it is important to, to kind of regulate one's food intake. Catherine and Robbie, thank you both so very much for being with us. Thank you. It's been it's a pleasure. Been, it's really kind of fun. Catherine Byers is an 86-year-old marathon runner. Dr. Roberta Gottlieb heads the Gottlieb Laboratory at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. There's so much more to learn about the science and benefits around exercise and aging. Catherine is an 86-year-old in exceptionally good health, but increasingly doctors see exercise as a key component to effective treatment for many conditions and for people at all levels of health. If you want to know more on an individual basis of how exercise can benefit you and your health, maybe give your doctor a call. Find out what works for you. I'm Sarah Ivry. Thank you so much for listening. Life Effects is a production of Slate Studios in partnership with Teva. You can find links to the studies we mentioned and learn more about everything in this series at lifeeffects.teva. That's lifeeffects.teva.